So hi everyone and welcome to What The Foot podcast. My name is Tony and for this episode I'm joined alongside Jason. G'day. Voltaire. Hello. And our special guest Anthony Lewis. Thanks for having me everyone. For this week's episode we are very fortunate to have Anthony joining us and just a bit of information about him. So since completing his Bachelor of Podiatry degree at La Trobe University in 2000, Anthony Lewis has worked in a range of Australian healthcare settings, uh, and these settings included marginalised population groups uh, predisposed to foot pathology. His passion for working with disadvantaged communities deepened during four respective volunteer experiences, and these places included India, Samoa, Kiribati and Nauru. This has led Anthony to start up Footscape in 2009. It is an Australian charity that assists disadvantaged individuals and communities predisposed to debilitating foot pathologies. Throughout this episode, Anthony will share with us the wonderful work that Footscape do and how we can help out um, with his charity. So Anthony, we've got quite a few questions for you today and um, yeah, hopefully the audience listening can um, yeah, learn more about yourself and Footscape as a whole. Thanks for having me again. It's it's great to have you guys show an interest in Footscape and hopefully the, your audience too can get some more information. Awesome. So I guess to kick off with the question is, um, can you tell us a little about yourself and your podiatry career? Sure. Well, look, I've lived in Melbourne most of my life. Um, I married with a child who's four months old. So I was born in the first wave of COVID. And uh, so this year's been a busy and unique year for me in more ways than one or indifferent to most other people. Um, my podiatry career, as you, as you say, I finished at La Trobe in the year 2000. And since then, I've worked in a variety of jobs, uh, mostly in the public sector in community health, which I've loved. Um, and I've obviously done some stuff overseas, uh, which we'll talk a little bit more during the episode. And uh, yeah, yeah. So podiatry, I, I love the profession of podiatry. Um, it's good to challenge yourself to to new things, which I think a few podiatrists can get bogged down in. But I've, as we, as we we'll talk about over this episode, that yeah, I've tried to take the footpath less followed. Yep, awesome. And in regards to your work, um, where have you worked in the past as a clinician, both I guess here and abroad? Yeah, so, so locally it's mostly been community health. So I've actually worked in a number of roles, uh, a number of community health settings, either as a locum or as, as a paid employee. Um, my most recent position um, was at DPV Health, which includes your way, Tony, um, around Eppingham Whittlesey, uh, which, which is great. Yeah, yeah, so nice part of the world. And, uh, yeah, so I really did oh, have loved the community health setting and uh, yeah, obviously with the uh, overseas stuff, it's certainly been a, a change of pace. Um, yeah, initially I went to India for a couple of weeks to spend some time with a, a leprosy organisation, actually. I don't think too many Australian pods have ever consulted leprosy patients, um, even though there is a chapter in one of the textbooks that is used heavily at La Trobe. Oh. Um, but, yeah, so I spent a couple of weeks there, which was uh, exciting. Uh, I don't know how much you want me to relay or to go into that at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I, I basically just uh, emailed them and asked, would you be interested in having me along? Um, and they were all for it. Uh, a year or so before I went there, 
the great Professor Hilton Menz um, went there too. So I think he got the ball rolling and built that sort of rapport. So uh, so it gave me an additional opportunity to uh, to, to go to there. And uh, it was really interesting um, going around even this oh, – so the organisation was called the Bombay Leprosy Project, yep. and they showed me around all their um, all their various projects. So whether it be in the hospital, or whether in the, in the community, I could even just walk around the various slums of Mumbai, um, which are basically some of the, the biggest in Asia, if not the world, and seeing people in their in, in their what's called what's like homes, and that who are struggling. To, to overcome issues of leprosy, um, and, and that includes amputation, of course. Um, extraordinary times. It w- really did fuel my motivation to uh, do some more volunteering. Um, at that stage, I'd actually knew I was on the verge of going to Samoa. It was just a case of when all the paperwork would be signed off. So, so the India opportunity was uh, almost like a little bit of a bit of a stopgap scenario and uh, just to be able to 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 link up with such a wonderful organisation where I was able to, yeah, as I say, experience their projects, be able to talk to a lot of physio and OT uh, university students there and talk to them about podiatry and the value of foot health and, and the principles of Australian podiatry. Um, it really did fuel that motivation to, to keep going. So after, uh, after India, I uh, was able to go to Samoa with the Australian Volunteers International. So I stayed there for about a year. And unfortunately, in the, the Pacific Islands, it's all, it's all diabetic, diabetes-related. And as I was saying, yeah, a lot of amputations occur, sadly, mostly because of a combination of probably genetics, changing lifestyles. There's a lot more West, Westernisation um, lifestyle going on, foods. Um, don't know if you guys have been to the Pacific Islands before, but Samoa is a beautiful country that I actually re- recommend once lockdown is over and we can travel again. That is a great local des- regional destination that people can go to. A um, couple of other reasons why probably foot pathology is an issue um, and diabetes is an issue. Yeah, changing, changing lifestyles. Once upon a time, everyone ate their fresh uh, fruit and fish, and indeed, in the middle of the the, the capital Apia, there was some beautiful markets there. Some of the nicest fruit you'll ever want to taste. But unfortunately, also um, there's a McDonald's in the, right in the middle of town too. And I think it's I don't know whether it's a status thing of being able to sort of go and sort of eat in the McDonald's. Um, but that sort of stuff was that was probably symbolic of that sort of changing lifestyles. Um, like a lot more sort of corned beef getting eaten, a lot more fatty foods. So in combination, um, genetics as well, that was probably leading to diabetes as well. Um, even the uh, other things like uh, walking. Um, walk, walking can almost be interpreted as a sign of poverty or at least uh, sort of lower class. I actually gained quite a reputation around town because I, I just walk everywhere. So it was strange to see this white guy, this young white guy, just walking around town. Um, and but I absolutely loved it. It was beautiful weather. It's also, I must admit, it's very hot too. So it's not the easiest to actually exercise in, especially for those people who don't necessarily want to 
to raise your sweat. Unfortunately, probably that's where women struggle a little bit more. Women probably have that traditional role as being um, maintaining the house and and raising the family and probably trying to be a little bit look a little bit more dignified, especially um, on that sun on those Sundays where everyone's going to local church services. Um, yeah, so it's just that change in lifestyle. I mean, there's a lot more diabetes and whether people were accessing that hospital services, including podiatry, because obviously there was probably in a lot of places around the world there's a lack of podiatry services as we know it here in Australia. So um, probably people were reluctant to to sort of access uh, hospital services for any foot pathology earlier than what they otherwise should, like they should and they do traditionally here in Australia. So as you know, that can be really bad for diabetic foot wounds where small wounds can become big wounds and wounds can become infected very easily. And remember, this is a tropical environment we're referring to. So it's it's a situation where there's probably a lot more amputations that have been occurring in the last you know, 20, 30 years than what was necessary. And so that's where podiatry can really play a part to advocate for the profession in these environments and to upskill local health staff as well as the general community. So there's so much that Australian podiatrists can do. Um, similar sort of issue to uh, to Kiribati. So I went to, Kir- to Kiribati a couple of years later. Tony, I noticed you did announce that as Kiribati, but most people do, to be honest, when you see how it's spelt. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's the in the local language. It's uh, Kiribati. Um, most people still haven't actually heard of the country. And for what it's worth, in a bit of history, um, these there used to be the Gilbert and Alice Islands, and then when they got independence from the UK, um, they became the countries of Kiribati, and then there's another country called Tuvalu, uh, which is a very small. They're, they're both small countries. Um, along the equator there. So it's very, very hot. Um, essentially, I think like the atolls. So just groups of small islands. Um, and, uh, yeah, so Kiribati, again, it's the people who are beautiful in the country, but it's a tough place to to stay. I was there for, again, the best part of a year and uh, very isolating. Uh, and, uh, yeah, not, not too many Australians. Um, yeah, so but so similar sort of issues where a lot of diabetic foot complications early in life, um, and this is, again, this is where we can talk about people getting amputations in their 40s, and uh, which is a bit scary, which really is scary. Um, yeah, again, uh, the lifestyle changes there are occurring, and it's not easy in a country like Kiribati to actually grow your fresh fruit and vegetables. So a lot of it does get imported from the likes of Australia. But because it's getting imported, you got your food, any how any imported foods can, can be more expensive. It's not the easiest for the local population to devote minimal um, finances and savings towards these imported foods. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky scenario to overcome. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know how that's ever going to change, to be honest. Yeah, that's probably when we were over in uh, Fiji for holidays. We went to a local farm and 
every, they say every year they get the farm up and running and then bang, the, the hurricanes come in and they've got to start again. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think the, the Pacific Islands are very vulnerable to the weather activity as well. I don't know, just recently Vanuatu copped, copped one even during this, during the pandemic. I don't know the severity of it, but that, this is only a couple of years after they copped a Category 5, I think it was Cyclone Pam a few years ago. Cyclone Pam means think trees get uprooted and flattened. So, yeah, it, it is tough. It, it is it's it's not easy. It's not easy. And as I say, a place like Kiribati, where the soil is not really fertile for growing um, your fruits and your vegetables, it's it's definitely not as easy, unfortunately. And um, Anthony, a great thing that you mentioned about quite a lot of, I guess, high risk feet and those with amputations in those islands. Um, but is there like a multidisciplinary approach for these patients? So a nutritionist, maybe a diabetes educator and those working around to help these patients? Yeah, well, I think things are improving all the time. There's a, a few Australian NGOs working in um, some of these Pacific islands and that it's, um, as I say, it's 15 years ago since I went to Samoa. So I think things have certainly evolved there. Um, there's a there's an Australian NGO called Motivation Australia has been doing some good work there. So um, there's been some good prosthetic services, as an example, uh, prosthetics and orthotics services. I think there are occasionally can be diabetes educators. Generally in these sorts of places too, the nurses are wonderful, I have to say, because like a good nurse, they do care. And uh, so things like even using aseptic techniques, Fantastic nursing staff are brilliant. Um, so it can be a bit of a cultural mind shift that's needed too, because as I say, there's that late presentation to the wards as well. I know in in uh, Samoa that the local hospital was often referred to as the Darwin Hospital because only the strong survived. Um, but yeah, there might be some dietitians and nutritionists here and there. Um, whether it's all coordinated approaches, so it's a holistic, multidisciplinary approach. Yeah, it's uh, it's not the easiest because um, still it's a bit old school in some places, like where the doctors rule um, and they sort of say this is how it's done. So other services, including young podiatrists who are volunteering, their opinion might be put um, in that lower lower priority. Of, of understanding or, or follow-up for action. Awesome. And in regards to, I guess, working here and working abroad in so many different countries, uh, what were the biggest challenges that you were facing overseas? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting um, because, for example, Samoa, I absolutely love the lifestyle. It's a beautiful country. Everyone's so relaxed. Um, so going around town, loved it. But unfortunately, that sort of philosophy went on into the into the workplace as well. Um, so that, yeah, there was that. I always felt like there was a thing where people w wouldn't do what work was required today if they could put it off for another day. And uh, so it was tough to get things done in the workplace. Um, yeah, yeah. But I guess other issues, as I say in Kiribati, there was the isolation as well. Um, there was no direct flights to Australia, so as well as even just to have visitors and people going back, wasn't the easiest. Personally, as well, 
the Cypri had a few dietary issues as well, um, which haven't been helped where certain foods haven't been able to be accessed easily. Um, uh, unfortunately, like many other podiatrists too, I do succumb to a lot of back issues as well. So not being able to access probably the treatment that I wanted to, um, and not, not just the treatment, but obviously, you know, your good OH&S setup that you would hope to have here in Australia might not be available overseas. Um, yeah, so it was definitely challenging at times, at times, but you just do your best and you, you, you do need to go in with a good approach just and, and a healthy mindset to say, look, this is not going to be what it's like in Australia and uh, change takes takes a long time. So going there for one month, two month, months, even a year, you may not you may not do a heck of a lot or change a heck of a lot in that in that time. Yep, absolutely. And in regards to all these volunteering efforts and yeah, helping those who need it at most, where did this passion first start? Was it when you were a student at uni or did someone talk you through these programs? What initiated all of these, uh, I guess, elements? Yeah, well, I actually probably came from a family where there's been a lot of volunteering done. Um, my parents have historically done a lot of volunteering in the community, whether it be even just for the sporting clubs where we grew up playing um, or just other for other um, welfare organisations in the um, in the community. So, yeah, so that's an example of one project we do. Uh, we have a big material aid focus these days where we actually try and affiliate with a lot of like-minded organisations. Um, so these can include your community health podiatry departments and uh, as well as hospital networks and then other welfare organisations um, that which... Um, endeavour to help our target populations. So um, the material aid, we, we fund or, or, or essentially try and uh, source a lot of socks, a lot of shoes um, for disadvantaged homeless persons, again, asylum seekers, uh, Aboriginal persons encountering diabetes, financially disadvantaged children, and even victims of domestic violence. You, I hear, it was a, one, of these, one of the great things in what I'm doing at the moment is you learn a heck of a lot. And I didn't really appreciate the circumstances of victims of domestic violence who may have to leave their, their residence at the drop of a hat and, and may only have one basic pair of shoes on, one pair of socks. So if they've got to get to work, they need to work or they need to exercise, their ability to get a decent pair of shoes, which means they can, or a decent pair of runners means they can still do their sport and recreation and, and maintain that sort of social inclusion again, as, as we're talking about with the so, with the asylum seekers. Um, so really proud to say that we've, we've just not long surpassed 30,000 pairs of socks and shoes that have been distributed to probably about 50 uh, affiliate organisations. For, for logistics, most of these are based within Melbourne. However, we're increasingly going to regional Victoria and even interstate. Um, we had a request a couple months ago from uh, an Aboriginal health service in Mount Isa um, from a podiatrist up there and we were able to send up about 80 kilos of shoes and socks and, uh, and they were new shoes. And so uh, the podiatrist was over the moon because whether it's just helping out an Aboriginal person with diabetes or just a, uh, a child who needs a pair of shoes to be able to do their do recreational activities and so forth. It just means a heck of a lot. And as podiatrists, so I know you would appreciate that. 
Um, yeah, so we've been able to set up in, uh, have a material aid centre set up in Rosanna, actually. We've been hiring a hall there for a couple of years now. So it's and you probably must be loving that, so it's no longer in your house. Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's the thing I have to say. In the early days, in the early days where we didn't really have any resources whatsoever, um, I was basically um storing these in my house which at the time i was living by myself so that was okay obviously you now having a wife and child um <laughs> yeah and especially with the child taking over the house it's definitely not plausible for that to take place so it's been a great arrangement to be able to get somewhere which is local to um local to, to where i live um to be able to store and process all these um, wonderful items um these include foot care kits as well. Um, one of our projects in recent times has to been assemble some uh, foot care kits. Um, people would see an image of this on our website as well, but just very basic items like moisturising creams and wound dressing materials, antiseptics. Um, you put and some educational booklets and that too. So again, these have been assembled and passed on to um, affiliate organisations and distributed to lots of homeless persons and asylum seekers again. Again, during COVID-19, uh, we've actually been getting some great feedback from podiatrists in these public departments because I, from what I understand, a lot of them are only able to see those sort of urgent cases, um, patient cases. So some of those non-urgent cases are getting deferred. But in the meantime, if they've been able, the podiatrist has been able to distribute a foot care kit, that means the individual, the homeless individual, for example, can at least endeavour to provide or oh, um, take a bit of self-care action. So they can, if there's a cut or a scratch, they can put a, a dressing on there. So a small issue doesn't become a big issue. So um, we're very proud of that. Yeah, those um, packs are really cool because it also, you know, it, it's amazing how much the ownership um, can can lift someone's spirits as well so that you know people have got that ownership and feel like mm. they're in control when often in situations they weren't which is really cool yeah i like to think it's empowering individuals to be able to decide how they attend to their own health and well-being um, and again probably historically it's it's hard for a person to prioritize foot health um, if there's other issues that are drawing their focus um, but yeah this is is certainly putting foot health on the map and giving an individual the opportunity to take action to promote, to to help themselves. So, yeah, so th these projects are actually becoming quite big, uh, or, it's, or it's increasing, getting bigger, a little bit more. Um, We've been able to get a couple of small grants to help with this and then a few other donations as well from the likes of Rotary Groups and, and individuals who have been supporting us. The other project I haven't um, touched on yet is actually, as part of the material aid, is actually a, a children's orthotic project where, again, with our affiliates, um, the, the public pedology departments, um, for any child under the age of 18 from a low-income household or family, if they're in, encountering clinical pathology which necessitates um, orthotic therapy, then the podiatrist knows that Footscape will come to the party and actually fund um, orthotic devices and footwear for, for the child. So um, we've been able to fund probably close to 300 devices now, which I'm really proud of that. Um, 
I will give a shout out to to Orthotech as well, who have actually as part of a sponsorship arrangement, they've actually been able to they've given us so many um, orthotic devices annually. So we're principally using these for the children's orthotic projects, but um, it's great to, to uh, yeah. So kids with foot pathology, as you guys may or may not have experienced yourself in childhood, if if you got issues there and you and your parents can't afford a decent orthotic and a pair of shoes, if that means you're not be able, if you're in pain and you're not being able to participate in your, in your during your sport and your recreation, I mean that's that's holding the child back, um, not just from their 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 physical well-being, but even their mental well-being and conf yeah, confidence. So yeah, really proud of those um the projects that we are doing at the moment. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's just. Yeah, it must feel good to be able to just touch and help all those people. When mm. did you gain charity status? So that was done in the year uh, 2012. Um, so we had to go through, I think even at the time was the um, Australian Tax Office. Um, and we were able to get some help from a, a pro bono help from a law firm just to help us along that journey um, because they're just going through all the legal the legal issues is not easy for someone just with a pedagogy degree. So, uh, yeah, so th that has actually helped us out enormously, being able to go for various grants and getting that business support as well. Um, so that essentially anyone who, whether it be a, a business or an individual or a pedagogy clinic, um, hint, hint to various listeners, um, if people are keen to, uh, to make that donation, they can actually claim it on their tax, so it's it's a big tick for Footscape. <laughs> and and on that note, how what can how can people donate, and what can they donate um, to help out Footscape? Sure. Well, yeah. Well, there's a few ways in which people can get involved. Even just following us on social media pages is, is a great starting point. Um, people can become members of the organisation and and even graduate to becoming a committee member. So there is a board of management of which there are some podiatrists on that, but um, there's also people with IT skills, um, accounting skills, uh, and and even historically there's been what, people with some marketing skills in that too. So it's amazing the uh, broad set of skills that are needed to run such a community organisation. Um, people are, are definitely welcome to come down to our Rosanna setup post-pandemic. Um, in an ideal world, we're going to run monthly working bees um, in which people can just help out with, you know, as I say, processing a lot of the material aid, the socks and the shoes. Um, so I definitely encourage people to get in touch with us, put their hand up and just help out for a couple of hours there. Um, financially, yeah, is, there's definitely sponsorship opportunities available. Um and there is actually, if you refer to our website there, there's actually a booklet there which details the level of sponsorship, which we've tried to make it really easy for podiatry clinics to actually um, give a basic financial sponsorship in, in return to be recognised as a Footscape sponsor. But even at the same time, if, if clinics aren't set up to provide a financial support. Um, we're always on the lookout for clinics to serve as sock collection points. Um, so uh, just around Melbourne, it's a great way 
to clinics for, 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 for when, when there's expressions of interest from the from individuals in the community who will contact us and say, I'd love to donate some new pairs of socks. Um, where can I drop them off? Well, I generally refer to them at, at the nearest local clinic that is is a sock collection point for us. So, um, so there's a there's a great variety of ways to people for, to get involved, um, and I definitely encourage people to learn more about Footscape and to uh, yeah to get involved and 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 do and see another side of podiatry that they may not experience as much in their field yet. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. I, I like that, the, the sock collection points. It's, it's about thinking outside of the box. Um, I don't know if you, you've listened to any of our past uh, episodes, uh, Anthony, but we um, we had a little bit of a, a money-raising going for Footscape uh, where if anyone makes a, a simple uh, error saying something like I just did in that sentence um, or, you know, dropped a swear word, which has happened a few times, um, <laughs> we were donating $1.00 um per mistake uh and we've collected that up over the last 10 episodes nine episodes from guests and presenters um and we've got a, a 500 dollars one-off donation that we will be able oh, to wow uh, that is brilliant guys that's brilliant yeah uh, at the end of the episode so uh that's a big thank you to to us and past guests that were were involved well, th thanks for uh, thanks, guys, and thanks for making all those mistakes. Um, <laughs> I, I probably could have said a few things better in this episode myself, but uh, so with that being said, my first question is: What are some of the valuable things that you have learnt so far? Yeah, yeah, it's um, probably should have thought about this more before uh, I started <laughs> the presentation. Um, all right. The uh, look, I love podiatry. I do love podiatry. Um, you know, the funny thing is, I, I I didn't go so great at uni. I was a bit of a rabbit in the headlights at uni, so my marks weren't that great. And I'm sure the lecturers still recall that <laughs> recall such <laughs> poor performances as well. But um, you know, I, I think sometimes, even if you struggle to know every all aspects of podiatry or the theory, um, sometimes you can make it up with the, in practice by caring. Mm -hmm. and being holistic in your approach. You know, podiatrists have a unique um, a unique health professional because obviously by, often when we're providing treatment, there's an opportunity to actually engage with, with the patient and, and talk with them and find out so much more about their life um, so you can see what other areas of the life they might need assistance in. And that's probably what working in that community health environment. That's where I sort of tapped in and sort of said, oh, look, you know, you know, if it looks like they've got dietary issues, oh, we can a, we can refer you to a dietitian. Yeah, if they're struggling with their diabetes, maybe we can refer to a diabetes educator, and mm -hmm. so forth. So, um, I think I think probably the most valuable thing from a clinical perspective is, is you know just caring and being holistic in your approach to care, and um, and again probably just. Along those lines, it doesn't take a lot to achieve a lot um, for a, for good clinical outcomes. Even that person who is experiencing um, chronic um, pains, um, you can at least help them to some extent um, uh, by taking a caring approach. Oh, yeah, it's definitely correct. I mean, I guess you got to also think about the mental well-being of the patient. So even though they might present with like a foot problem, you know, the person 
you got to think about the rest of the person themselves. So, yeah, definitely caring about them is goes a long way into providing that, I guess, overall care. Um, and another question I have is what I know it's a bit of a question you got to think about quite a bit, but mm. what has been your best achievement in your opinion, either for yourself or for Footscape? Oh, look, I'm, I'm proud of some of the things I've done as an individual and, and, and for Footscape. Um, mm -hmm. So we talked a bit about those already. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. We don't necessarily – don't do this sort of uh, – you don't volunteer and so forth to um, to get accolades and that, but it was not really nice a couple of years ago uh, when I did get recognised um, through the Commonwealth Games, actually, with the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games, where I was actually selected to carry the Queen's uh, baton in the in the wow. relay. Um, so that was that just just for something different, just to relay to your, to your listeners. Um, yeah, I, I was really proud of that actually, and uh, people might recall that coming through Melbourne, and you know there wasn't very many people selected, but I got I got to uh, go with the baton for so many hundred meters um, around St Kilda Way actually. So it was a Saturday morning. I went down there bright and early, and uh, it, it was great to be able to share that moment with some family and friends. Um, yeah, so that that just. Okay, it's not necessarily a, an ach a achievement rather than a reward that I received out of it. So, I'll, but I'll, I'll declare that anyhow as my most proud, uh, probably a very proud moment. Yeah, I mean it is a historical event, so that is amazing in itself. <laughs> um, oh yeah, I like to think so. And uh, with regards to the charity revenue, how does that um, come about, and is it through grant potentially? It's yeah. Look, it's a good question. It, it it often comes up. Yeah, probably the majority, as I alluded to probably a little bit earlier, the majority of our income probably is generated through grants. Um, so probably through Footscape, I've almost become a self-taught grant writer. Um, it's not easy to get a grant, especially the big ones. Um, but at least we've been able to get um, small grants, mostly here and here and there, which have been able to support. Um, yeah, small projects, whether it be being able to purchase sort of like storage equipment um, and shelving for our Rosanna setup, or even a little bit of IT equipment um, that I can I can use or another volunteer can use um, to you know to do our work on. Um, yeah, uh, other than grants, has been just a few, uh, whether it be donations, business support. Um, a good fundraiser too is, is obviously beneficial. Um, mm -hmm. one, of, one, of, one of my favourites over the journey has been doing the, the Bunnies barbecue fundraisers. I haven't done one for a while, I have to say, but um, it's amazing how much uh, on a good day, on, on a nice day, whether the crowds come out and obviously um, love their bunny snacks. Um, people go to Bunnies just to get a snack for the because they know it's, it always tastes nice. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how many snacks I've cut up over the years, how much onion I've peeled, how much watery eyes I've had. So yeah, when it, when it, when I say like you know, I put my blood, sweat, and tears into Footscape, you know, <laughs> I'm not lying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, can't say no to a good barbecue. Uh, but uh, go to the next question. Looking at the Footscape website, there are annual reports for each year. 
So if you can answer, when do we expect to see the 2020 report and were there potentially any expectations that were either met or exceeded so far? Sure, sure. Well, well, look, we try and be transparent. So people would see a number of our annual reports on the website. Um, the uh, In terms of the next annual general meeting should be held uh, early November. Uh, we're just sort of waiting on to see what's going to happen with COVID and whether we can potentially do, do this in person or, or a meeting together as opposed to a Zoom meeting. Uh, hopefully we can do something in person and we'll just have to see how many attendees we can invite along as well. Um, in terms of what has been achieved during the 2019-2020 financial year, um, look, it, it's been it's been a solid year. Uh, revenue probably was similar to the year before. Um, the uh, In terms of the material aid, it's actually gone up again um, in terms of the amount distributed. Um, as I said, I gave some numbers before about in totals have been over about 30,000 now. So about 10,000 of that came during that financial year. Um, the thing is COVID ha didn't necessarily affect that financial year too much. So you wouldn't see um, a huge, well, well, yeah, you, you, you probably won't see too many references to COVID. I'm more worried about what's going to happen in this current financial year. Um, and obviously we'll just have to wait to see what happens because there's obviously a lot of variables. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, I think over the, over the course of the year, it's been great. The, the project work has been strengthened in terms of the quality and the quantity as well. Um, just recently, you guys might have been uh, receiving some of the uh, email newsletters that we've been initiating. So we, we definitely want to improve our communications and marketing as well. So that community, that's a community engagement we, activity we're doing. And that's, that's doing this podcast is, is a great endeavour as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, yeah. So the rest of it, you might just have to read in the report, which would be probably available uh, in by early November anyhow, let's say. Perfect. Um, and going on from that, and if the AGM does go through, how could someone attend? Yeah, well, we'll probably just confirm, assuming we can do it in person, um, mm -hmm. we'll probably confirm um, a meeting venue um, and how many people we can actually have in that venue as well in due course. So we'll certainly be doing some announcements out to um, on our social media pages. Um, so basically it's Facebook and Instagram is where most of our announcements gets done. And uh, so I'd say just keep, keep up to speed with them and we'll let you know as soon as we know. Yep. Easy. And finally, um, you've already mentioned the Children of Photic Project with regard to device and footwear mm. and obviously you'll be quite busy with you know the new child but do, would you have any future plans with either yourself and footscape that you can mention here oh, oh look it's um it, it, there's ideals and then there's what you can realistically achieve in a in a given time frame but certainly um this the the principles are to maintain uh, uh, maintain financial viability, which obviously there might be some a lot of charities under strain over the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I didn't actually clarify too is that a couple of years ago, I reverted from the founding president to 
a CEO full-time role. Um, and so for, for that, I get paid a basic wage to keep doing this. So hopefully my role can still exist for some some duration. Um, I think at this stage, a lot of our project work is going well, that we want the focus of the committee and myself is to improve, to streamline things, improve the quality of it. So, and that especially is around that Mature A project. That's one of the projects we're going to be looking at over the over the coming months mm-hmm. is to help improve the how that is rolled out just to make it easier for affiliates um, to request donations. Um, and that includes new affiliates right across Australia. So I think we're getting to the point now um, where we don't just have to limit ourselves because of um, because of our Melbourne location, that we can we can look further afield. So hopefully that can transpire. Um, and yeah, that's probably that's probably the guts of what our future plan is for the moment. We probably do need to improve other areas as well as I said. Now, marketing communications, even our overall governance and planning, we can probably be a little more systematic with that. Um, and hopefully. We, we will be. Hopefully we will be. So, hmm. Perfect. Well, that's awesome. And, um, yeah, very exciting that you've got quite, a, you know, a project or projection leading in the future. And hopefully, yeah, after this uh, one-off pandemic, ho- hopefully, that, uh, yeah, things can go back to normal. Um, beyond that note, Anthony, I'm sure that we and our listeners have learned quite a lot about Footscape and really do appreciate you and your team's work over these years. And we hope that our audience can spread the message out there about Footscape and hope you guys continue to do the amazing job out there uh, for the community. Um, and for our listeners Thanks. also. Appreciate it. I appreciate yeah, it, mate. Yeah, no worries. It's, um, it's always a pleasure having uh, someone like yourself come on. Um, but, yeah, if our listeners have any questions um, to send to Anthony, uh, you're more than welcome to send it to us through our social media or we can always uh, forward that to Anthony as well. So we'll provide some links to your Facebook, Instagram and your website as well, Anthony. Brilliant. And, yeah, for those who want to reach out to you personally, they can do so as well. But a big thank you for finding some time uh, to join us, Anthony. We hope that you and your family take care and wish you all the best for what's to come. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, I think it's great that you young pods uh, uh, are taking on such an initiative. So good luck with it all. Thank you, Anthony. So that wraps up this week's episode on What The Foot Podcast. Take care, stay safe, and we look forward to having you join us on our next episode. Thanks, guys. Thank you.